0: Because great leaders will produce great results.
1: Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners. Wherever you may be in the world today, this is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and I am excited about this guest today. She is a retired brigadier general who founded her own consultancy company, Steadfast Leadership. And after 27 years of service in the United States Army, and one year as the Executive Director for Leader Development, do you say that, uh, Becky, previous? Previous. Previous Previous. group. Previous group. We're really thrilled to have you, and welcome, Becky Halstead.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited, Steve. So excited.
1: Okay, good deal. Well, before we get started, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Becky. First of all, Becky, thank you for your service to our country. You're welcome. Yeah, that's a this is a a huge background. She's has been honored to be selected to attend West Point in 1977, entering with the second class of women and being the first kid, quote unquote, from her hometown to graduate from West Point. She's blessed to be the first female graduate of West Point to be promoted to general officer. And she served and commanded in, in combat as the first female commanding general at the strategic level of leadership in Iraq, leading 20,000 soldiers, 5,000 civilians uh, from 2005 to 2006, a first for our army and our nation. So uh, let's get right into this. We have a lot in common. We were just talking about we spend much of our lives thinking and working on leadership, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we also have something else in common. We have two sons that have flown F-16s and, and been officers in the United States Air Force, and two that went to uh, the uh, Air Force Academy. So those are big times, aren't they, Becky?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, my dad was in the Air Force, uh, enlisted when he left, and then he became an IBM engineer. So I have a, and a niece in the Air Force. So You know, I I believe in the joint team, that's for sure. So congratulations to your sons.
1: Oh, you bet. Well, indeed. Well, Becky, uh, tell us about your background, including any turning points in your life that's had a significant impact on you and especially that influenced you to do what you did. Like, I just can't wait to hear about this wonderful adventure that you are going through.
2: Well, I I appreciate that. You know, um, I have every steno pad since I went to West Point in 1977, (laughs) And in the margins, I have two letters, TP, for turning points. So I have tried to kind of keep track of those over the years. And they're for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they're faith-based. Sometimes they're just uh, professionally based. But the biggest turning point probably for me was in high school to get me started on this journey. I had planned on being a, a physical education teacher and coach. I love sports. And I grew up in this small town with no traffic lights in upstate New York. I, I lived in Wiltonville, New York and went to school in Candor, New York. And our kindergarten through 12th grade was in two buildings. And so I was really into sports. And I don't think I realized that I probably really wasn't that great of an athlete. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> you know, it seemed like I was because I was on all these teams and I was always one of the lead players. But when you come from a small town like that, what you discover is everybody gets to play. So I wanted to go to college for that. And then in my junior year, my mom said, in 1976, she said, look at this. And she was reading the newspaper. She says, listen to this. They've approved. The government's approved. The president has approved to allow women to go into the military academies. And she says, I think this sounds just like you. Well, at that point, I had no exposure <laughs> to the military.
1: Military. Great. I'm just loving this. Good goal. Yeah.
2: So my dad, I mean, I'd seen my dad's uh, Air Force uniform and was thought it was really, really neat. And I, I liked learning a little bit about his enlisted time. And I had one great uncle in the Navy during World War II, but military was the last thing for my mind. And so I made a deal with my mom if she helps me with the application process that I would try Part of that process is getting um, letters of, of recommendation for your nomination packet to go to your congressman or senator. And I know you're you are very well aware of that with your sons going to the Air Force Academy. So the number one person I went to was my coach, because again, I was really into sports. In the spring of 1976, as I got all my packet together and I was putting it into the congressmen and senators, uh, my coach was killed in a tragic accident. So about oh, I don't know, a couple of weeks after her death, I went for my first interview with Senator Jacob Javits of New York. And at that point, I'll be very honest with you, Steve, the life switch had kind of gone off. With the death of my coach, I wanted literally nothing to do with college or anything. I just took my feet right out from underneath me. But my mother and father said, please just go, please just just go, you know, and try to stick with this uh, process. So I did. And as soon as I went into his office, he, you know, and I sat down, he said, well, I see that you're from this town where there was a coach that was killed. I mean, I was really amazed that he knew that. And I said, yes. And a matter of fact, there's probably a letter of recommendation in that packet from her. So I had the interview, went home and about two weeks later, I got in the mail packet and he, he had had his office send me all the letters of recommendation. Now in those days, it's before computers and, if you had an IBM typewriter, you were doing pretty good, but she had handwritten her her letter. And as I read the words, the light switch came back on because I was able to see and, and feel how much confidence she had in me, the potential she saw in me. And then really very importantly was the fact that she wrote about that I'm having an opportunity that she could not have even possibly have dreamed of as a woman. And so the light switch went back on and I decided that I I really wanted to try and then I got accepted in my senior year of high school and off I went to West Point. So, you know, it it taught me so many things. It's probably one of the largest turning points in my life that we have a responsibility to see the potential in people and we have a responsibility to encourage people. And probably every time I've been asked to write a, a letter of recommendation to help someone get to the next step, I don't know that I've ever turned it down unless I felt the person did not deserve it. Then I would turn it down. But I've always tried to put a lot of energy into that because someone very special to me had faith in me. So anyhow, and I, I went off to West Point from 77 to 81, and it didn't prevent me from wanting to quit, however. I mean, I did want to quit. It was hard, but I, I, I learned a lot of other leadership along the way, like from my parents and, you know, two rules to life, rule number one. Don't quit. Rule number two. Refer back to rule number one. So even though you know all these things, there's still sometimes a lot of hard days where you want to quit. But I'm very glad that I didn't. I did learn early on at West Point that if I quit, the person in front of me that is yelling at me that wants me to quit, they're the ones who win, not me. And if I quit, I can't make a difference. I can't change it for men and women later, you know. So if you want to be Part of the solution, you can't quit. So anyhow, I graduated in 81, and then I spent 27 years in the military. I moved 18 times during that duration, and I had 51 different bosses. So I was in the laboratory of leadership.
1: Oh man, I love that background. That was (laughs) flat out inspirational. Thank you for taking the time to really share and and it just reinforces how important parents can be the influence yes. that they can have on their children and others in their lives and also like coaches. What a wonderful story. We we, could, we each do have that responsibility to see potential in others because it's certainly there. And so thank you for sharing that. That was worth the uh, podcast in itself right there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, and the other thing too about that, thanks so much, Steve. The other thing too about that is that you know and there's a lot of people right now that are suffering, you know, they're they're having tragedy in their life, maybe a loss of a loved one because of COVID or a loss of a job and you know sometimes when you're in the present of the chaos, you don't understand how that's going to play out for you or why you're experiencing it. Sometimes maybe people never know, but sometimes it takes a long time to know and I will tell you that when I think about that turning point in my life, which was very very difficult for me to accept her death, That it probably, I did not realize the full benefit of that story, but in Iraq, when I would go visit at the military hospitals to visit our wounded, that's when I realized that because of that experience, I could listen to my soldiers and I could, you know, hold their hand and pin on their purple heart and relate to their families. And relate to them because the loss of a battle buddy is really difficult. And sometimes I feel like I didn't understand the true meaning. I guess that's a better word because benefits are kind of an odd one. The true meaning of that story in my life until I was in combat in Iraq. And sometimes it takes that long. But I I do believe there's a a purpose for everything that happens in our life.
1: Yeah, totally agreed. Absolutely. We can... We can gain so much, and sometimes we just don't realize it, but there is good in every lesson and every setback and every challenge, and so keeping our chin up and and looking for that uh, is such a help, such a benefit for us. By the way, I'd love to have our listeners hear more about your experience as the first woman graduate of uh, the United States Military Academy to achieve the rank of general. (laughs) Now, I I might add that we love West Point. The president of one of our companies, Sal Vaccaro, his wife is named Anne. One of their daughters, Mary, attended West Point about probably eight or nine years ago. And it was so fun tracking her experience and how it went. And so tell us about what, what was it like to... Be the first woman graduate who became a general.
2: I would be lying if I said it wasn't fun. I mean, it was fun. It was exciting. And it was historical. But I do tell people that, you know, if you're the only, then it's lonely. And so what you really want is you want, and even though I enjoyed that that announcement and I enjoyed that day, the ceremony only lasts an hour, but the responsibility lasts a lifetime. And so, you know, to always hold myself accountable. But I was very excited when women passed me. You know, two of my classmates, Heidi Brown and Camille Nichols, both made their second star and they passed me. Right. (laughs) And then we had another great lady who, um, Nadia West, who became the Surgeon General for the Army, made her third star. I don't mind being a first and it is exciting, but I'm real happy when people zoom right on by me and and keep progress grow, growing, because if you're the only, then that's not progress. We don't want to ever say, okay, check that block. We got one. All right. <laughs> we can't
1: just gloss over this uh, either, Becky, because I would imagine there had to be some real challenging times in the whole process of your career as yeah. you moved along. And 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 how did you deal with those kind of things and keep your chin up, keep moving forward? And, and how did you deal with the setbacks? There had to be some.
2: Right. So I, I, I usually say, you know, I had to have a lot of faith and I had to have a lot of grit. Right. So a lot of determination and commitment and faith is plays a very important role in my life. So because there are a lot of there are a lot of ups and downs in that journey, for sure. I call them above the line events and below the line events. And so, you know, I mean, just to get to general, there's a lot of promotions involved. And, and sometimes I, I, I picked up an early promotion and there were many times when you kind of hear whispers in the background or on the sidelines of people going, you know, well, you, she just got that because she was a woman. And so there also there are there are a lot of moments where there's a lot of doubt that's created within you. And and I think it was my faith that kept me from letting that doubt be ruling me. Right? Like you have to say, look. I did not select myself for these promotions, but since I received them, what I do need to do is choose to do it to the best of my ability, you know, and, and I, you know, I love that your podcast is about becoming your best because it isn't necessarily about being number one. It's about being your best. What talents and strengths did God give you to do the best that you can do? So I did have to do a lot of uh, self-motivation, if you will, self-development to say, don't listen to the naysayers. Just keep pushing. And I will say that I never pushed myself to be a first. I did, I wasn't looking to break glass ceilings. Some of those things just happen. And sometimes I kind of wished that wasn't part of it. Just because I think a lot of people judge you very quickly. That oh well, you just did it for whatever. And and the only way I can say to prove kind of kind of prove that that's not the case is that. And I retired in 2008 because I was ill with chronic fibromyalgia. And I actually had people, you know, encourage me to stay in to get my second star for another first, right? Then I'd be the first for two stars. And I'm like, look, I know all my peers that are competing with me and for me to allow myself to compete and then maybe get a second star when I know that I'm ill and I know that I need to regroup and get myself strengthened and healed would be criminal in my mind you know to take something that i then can't fulfill my five year duty with so i you know i opted to retire to kind of get myself healed from uh from this fibromyalgia so i think we sometimes have to be careful with our vision of our own life you know that it does need to be realistic and it and, and it cannot be selfish you know i mean or self-serving, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, t- I mean, the majority of my life, I was the only woman in the room, certainly the only woman commander in the room. Even in Iraq, all the division commanders were men on the coalition and on the the, the joint side. You know, you're kind of constantly sized up. I'm five foot one and a half, so people <laughs> automatically think I can't do most of the physical stuff. So uh so it's very fun and exciting when, when you're able to do it and they go like, Oh my gosh, I just would have never thought you could do that obstacle or you know, hop, jump out of that, you know, repel out of that helicopter or whatever. So it takes a lot of grit. I mean, it takes a lot of self coaching to say you gotta keep going and you gotta have courage to speak up when things aren't quite right.
1: Yeah, indeed. Becky and I, to our listeners had some real fun before this podcast started today and just talking about our perspectives, our study, our lives and thinking about leadership. And and we have a lot in common and we've seen it from just different perspectives. Not only have we studied this and researched it, we've practiced it and we've seen it from among the very best in the world. And so to have somebody that thinks, shares this kind of point of view is quite exciting. And uh, I'd like to have her tell us more about her perspective. She she has uh, written a book about leadership, about her experiences, about her observation, about her practice of it. And one of the things that she's developed is called the Steadfast Leadership Model. Tell us first about your book and then tell us about your model. How did you develop it?
2: Well, the book that came out of speaking, doing a lot of keynote speeches on leadership in the corporate sector and people would come up to you afterwards and say, please tell me you've written a book. and I'd be like, (laughs) well, I'm I'm putting one together, you know, and I and, and because, you know, you know, as well as I do in one hour, it's very difficult to share this passion we have on leadership in just one hour. And you certainly can't share all the stories. So you have to be very focused during that time. But so I was like, you know, I need to do this. And so in 2013, I wrote it. And because I'm faith-based, I have always read a lot of devotionals. I mean, I've always got a devotional or three or four going, you know. So, you know, the first day of the month, day one to day 30 and all that kind of. And I I like short, uh, very pointed, principled type devotionals. And so when I started to write the book, I said, I'm going to do 30 principles that probably mean the most to me and i i was doing it kind of day 1 to day 30 well that confused some people so i just left it as steadfast leadership principle 1 through 30 every single one is is a story or lots of stories and there's stories of failure and there's stories of success and there's stories of you know maybe from high school all the way to being general because leadership is through your whole life it's a life journey and i wanted anybody that picked that book up whether you're in high school or you're the ceo of a company and be able to have some golden nuggets to help you lead your life better. And The title is The First Person You Must Lead Is You. And I and I did that purposely because we know that accountability is very important when it comes to leadership. In the, in the Army, we say, I will not ask of my soldiers that which I'm not willing to do myself. And so I felt like my first book on leadership need to be about, if you get yourself right, you know, a better me is a better week but you can't be leading a team if you're not the standard. And so those principles are very focused on individuals finding a better version of themselves when they get done reading the book. The the steadfast leadership uh, model, the Army had always given me a leadership model. The West Point model is be no do. So I had such a foundation when it came to the Army's field manuals and leadership development. But after you know, almost three decades of being in the army and now speaking on leadership, I thought, you know, I really should share what I think was the most applicable to me as a leader. And about 20 years into the army, my mother gave me a framed picture, and it's of the word Rebecca, my first name, and she put a, a Bible verse to it, and it was First Corinthians fifteen, fifty-eight. And in that it, it says, faithful and steadfast. And so when I was coming up with my (laughs) own leader philosophy for my, for the men and women in my commands, I decided I was going to come up with steadfast leadership and steadfast became an acronym because we're really big in acronyms in the (laughs) army and that's on my website, but it's selfless service, trust and tenacity, encourage and embrace, attitude and approachability, discipline, family, friends, and faith accountability, standard setter, and teamwork. And that grew on a life of its own when I was in battalion, brigade, and then general officer command in, uh, in Iraq. And so when I retired, I decided I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep that steadfast leadership and then try to make very relevant leadership lessons learned from my three decades in the army to the, to the civilian sector. So that's the model.
1: Okay, good stuff. That was a great background. And leadership is such a driving force in life. It is both tangible and intangible, but it is what makes the difference in a crisis. It's what makes the difference in being able to fulfill visions that we have. And I wonder if you would speak just to a, a moment, and I thank you for sharing the scripture in Corinthians. I'm going to go back and read it. Way to go, Rebecca. good name. But, but tell us about the value of both practical and tactical leadership in being able to get results and do important things.
2: Absolutely. Well, I think there is great value in being practical and, and I think leadership must be deliberate. So when you were speaking earlier about, you know, leadership makes a difference and it does, it's the difference between a good and a great family, good and great community, good and great companies. It's because it takes a, a great deal of discipline, self-discipline to be a leader, right? To to be on time and to choose the harder right over the easier wrong. And so the value is, is that you will provide a foundation that's built, built on good order and discipline, that's built on great morals and You know, rules and roles and responsibilities. And and it still gives everybody freedom of maneuver. But, you know, I kind of liken it to what's going on in our country right now. You know, I get asked often about, do I believe in people's right to protest? And I'm like, well, yes, it's a freedom (laughs) of speech, right? So, of course I do. But I also believe that just because I have the right to do something does not always necessarily mean that I should, right? I have the right to say, Anything, but should I say it? I have the right to do an awful lot, but should I do that? Or is it the right way to do it? So I think that practicing leadership and practicing practical leadership at the very tactical level uh, needs to be very deliberate, very thoughtful, because leadership can be the calming enabler, right? I always tell people we as leaders need to be the calm in the chaos, not create more chaos. But there are many leaders or at least people in leadership positions that instead of really thinking through their words and their actions to calm the effort, they stir it up. I I have issue with that. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Would you
1: just take a moment and define the difference between practical and tactical?
2: The difference between practical and tactical. Well, I mean, tactical, when I think of tactical from just my military days, I think of tactical as as being, you know, where the rubber meets the road. It's the kind of the making decisions at the lowest possible level and allowing people to do that. Because one of the very big challenges of leadership is when you're making a decision as a leader, you have to ask yourself, are you the right person to be making that decision, or should somebody below you be making it or somebody above you? Mm-hmm. And we we train our leaders in the military to make, the, make decisions at the lowest possible level. So that's how I describe tactical leadership is really making those decisions at the lowest possible level, because the next level up is operational, and then for us is strategic. Um, so that's how I would frame tactical. Practical to me is uh, more, what's the common sense approach? You know, and to me, that's really at all levels. Um, that's not just tactical, right? Practical leadership should and can be practiced at all levels from strategic all the way down. And if more people was were practicing practical leadership, I think we'd have a lot less friction in our society.
1: Indeed. And, and thank you so much for just sharing that, that really great leadership, highly successful leadership doesn't, you know, they create calm, they create a way forward, they cause people to see the way rather than creating havoc. So thank you for sharing that. I fully uh, agree with that. And the best leaders I've seen, that's exactly what they do. They're best in the biggest challenges.
2: Yes, I agree with that. I had, you know, just a great mentor in the, in the military. He said, Becky, we can never rush to failure. And and that means not only in our decisions, but just in our responses. You know, there's, my mom gave me a great book called Three Seconds. And it the whole thesis to that book is that if we all took three seconds before we said something or sent an email or sent a text or a Twitter, <laughs> right? If we all took three seconds to think about the words, we'd be a lot happier with what we said. <laughs> And, you know, I think there's great truth to that.
1: Yeah. Amen. Or maybe, you know, 300 seconds sometimes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. Well, time absolutely
1: flies. This has been a delight. Uh, You've been a blessing to our listeners. You've given them a lot to think about and capture. And before we wrap up today, any final tips you'd like to leave with our listeners? Any of the most valuable leadership lessons you've had? And, And then we'll wrap her up today.
2: Okay, well, I guess the one that I've been thinking about is that leadership is a choice, and so since it's a choice, please choose to lead yourself first. So in doing that, before you act, before you respond, think about what it is you're about to say, would you want that said to you? Think about what you're about to do, would you want that done to you? And hopefully people will be just working very hard to make better choices for the the betterment of all.
1: Okay. Well, amen to that. Good job. Well, how can people find out about what you're doing? How can they find your book and and information about you?
2: Well, I think the easiest way is my website is uh with one L dot com. And I'm on Facebook as well, but my website has YouTube videos, it has the book. Um I'm starting to post the podcast that I get to do on there and That's probably the easiest way and does have a contact Becky tab on it. Sometimes that goes to spam. But if you send me a note on contact Becky, I try very hard to respond, you know, within a few days to people. Well, that's
1: great. Well, thank you, Becky, not only for being part of our show today, but thank you for your wonderful, dependable, faithful service to our country and to helping our country be a better place to live.
2: Well, thank you, Steve. It was an honor and a privilege, so yeah. I appreciate that very much. You bet. Well,
1: and we wish you all the best and all the things that you're doing. We hope you're feeling better. <laughs> oh, much better. A <laughs> good deal. And we wish all of those that are listening today the very best. As you're making this day uh, the very best day that it can be, as you're working on becoming your best, and never forget, uh, never get discouraged that you're making a difference. As you just simply work on becoming your best and doing good, this always has a way to make things better. So this is Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, wishing you a great day.
0: Thank you for listening. Would you like help to apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders in your life, in your family, or in your organization? Call us today at 888 690